This episode of the Out of Bounds Podcast is brought to you by Fisher Skis. This is the Out of Bounds Podcast. My name is Adam Jabber, and I hope you're having a great day. Um, I'm having a medium day. Um, and, yeah, medium good, I guess. You know, they do steaks, like medium rare, medium whatever. This is medium good. Um, anyway, uh, as you may have heard, we launched a couple new shows, so I wanted to tell you about those beforehand. On Mondays, we have Big Stick Energy with Tori Anderson and Renee McCurdy. On Wednesdays, we have Mr. Adam X is The Pursuit, which has been going on for a while and been very successful. Um, also, John Kroom on Thursday uh, with Coffee and Van Chats. So check those out. Um, they'll come to your feed the same way my show does, but um, I would appreciate if you give them a listen. Maybe you'll find out you like them better than me. So um, I guess that's literally the whole idea. So we are uh, we are the collective as a group. Um, this is the Out of Bounds Collective, and we have a new website. It's the Out of Collective um, dot com. Technically, it's outofcollective.com. Um, so check us out. Buy some swag, merch, whatever they call it these days. We also have some vintage stuff. We'll have some gear that we all have used, um, like you know, gear that we've tested, stuff from the past. Like We'll be selling all that stuff on the site. Um, so check it out there. Capitalism aside, uh, we have a great episode for you today uh, with my friend Connor Ryan. Connor Ryan is a professional skier, um, a half Native American, half Irish um, human being, and the dude is awesome. Um, he skis for companies like Solomon, Patagonia, um, and uh, I'm sure a group of other brands as well. But we got to kind of chat about what it is that he does lately, what he does with his time, um, things that are important to him and that are important to both of us, honestly. Um, so I hope you enjoy this conversation. Um, we get a little deep into a couple topics, but um, you know, it is what it is. If you are a Trump lover, um, which is whatever do your thing um this is not for you i will tell you that right now um <laughs> it's not my fault it's we don't i actually don't know how much we actually directly talk about that but there's a lot of things that kind of dance around it so um i'm not hating just you do your thing we're gonna do ours and this is us doing ours um that being said probably a terrible time to be like hey leave a review um <laughs> uh leave a review on itunes if you get the opportunity um follow us on social media at out of podcast um, and follow Connor Ryan, obviously, um, at Sacred Stoke on Instagram. Um, the dude's amazing, and I'm super stoked that we finally, finally got a chance to talk. Um, is over Zoom, so again, grain of salt, whatever, whatever. Um, and one more thing before we jump into the episode. I have a sponsor for today, and it's Blizz Eyewear. Blizz has been a sponsor for the summer, um, and they've been great to me, and I'm sure they'll be great to you. They make some awesome eyewear, including the Fusions, which been the ones that I'm running. They are photochromic. They change with the light, um, like the lens, you know, all that stuff. You know how that works, basically. It's it's 2021. I think everybody knows how photochromic lenses work. Um, so if you want to buy some, if you want to buy some goggles, if you want to buy some sunglasses, if you want to buy whatever, uh, go to www.enjoywinter.com and use promo code out of bounds. Um, o is capital, O is capital, and B is capital. Um, that'll be in the show notes. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Let me know what you think. Shoot me an email, check out the new website, leave review, go follow Connor Ryan, blah, 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 blah. Go happy Monday, Tuesday, 
Bye. Connor, tell people who you are. Tell people a little bit about yourself, and uh, and we'll go from there. Connor Ryan, Amichiape, Ma Lakota, Etan Heska. Um, I greet you all with a with a good hand and a good heart today, relatives. My name is Connor Ryan, um, Lakota, and I come from the Rocky Mountains, or as my people call them, Heska. Um, I'm a professional skier, I'm based here in, in the Boulder area where I was born and raised, and my passion really is uh, using skiing as a medium to to connect people to the land and use my insights that come from my traditional culture in order to do that. Um, and at the same time, you know, I like to really focus on what I can do within the sport to create more opportunity for native folks to have the opportunity to participate in, in skiing or trail running or mountain biking or any of the other things that I get out there to do. And I also like for skiers and runners and mountain bikers and climbers to get to have a bit more context. Um, about the, the real story of these places that we come from and you know the true history behind them that, that often gets left out or overlooked within the industry. Yeah, totally. I mean, first of all, like that's amazing. Like that's the one of the better intros I think that we've had on this show because like it's it's authentic. It's who you are and it's like it's right there for people. Like if people were wondering what like who you are, you're a native. And I, I think that that part of you is something that you identify with super heavily especially if you follow you along like on instagram or on any social feed you're constantly talking about it you're constantly bringing attention to that and i think that's so important man yeah thanks it it means a lot to me and it's just it's one of those things that uh you know i think like all of the industry you know the outdoor industry as a whole like it all happens on native land and up until this point like there hasn't been a whole lot of room uh for us to say how we feel about that and for me i'm i'm outspoken when it comes to that side of myself because my experiences skiing are what made uh my culture real to me uh Mm. you know my culture is all about connection and relationship with the land and i didn't really have a connection and a relationship to the land until i was a skier and that's when it when it all clicked when i really learned what you know, words in my language meant and why we did the ceremonies and all those sort of things. For me, that came from my experiences outside. When when was your first time on snow? When did you feel like you became a skier? Um, when were you, when did you start to connect with that? Yeah, my first times on snow, I mean, obviously, like, I, I grew up in Colorado here right. on the edge of Ocheti Chacoin, which is my nation's, like, homelands. Um, so I always grew up around snow. And the first times I got to ski, I skied from like five to 10 uh, growing up. And it was my dad who took me out skiing. My dad's actually white guy from Ohio, my mom's native. And so that was what he was into, what him brought him to Colorado, uh, you know, way back in the day. And so he shared that with me for a while. And then uh, economically, my family didn't have the opportunity to participate in that from the time I was like 10 or so to when I was 21 and I finally like had a good job for myself for the first time and had some experiences like driving past the mountains uh, and just feeling this like pull again and looking at them and being like, Oh, I got to find a way to get back there. So I bought my first pair of skis um, that I, that I owned and like, you know, owned my own first pass and all that kind of stuff when I was 21. And 
Yeah. And so that, that was when I really started to identify as a skier was that first season um, back in the day they used to have the Rocky Mountain Super Pass. And my first <laughs> yeah. my first year with the Super Pass was when I was like, okay, like I skied probably a good 40 days and I felt like an actual skier uh, for the first time in my life. And it kind of kind of took over from there. <laughs> that was a feeling that I had to find a way to stick with because it, it took a lot for me to afford and fight to have the opportunity to even be on the mountain yeah and so i really identified with it after having to earn it in that way what so there's a few things i want to touch on there one of the things and it's a thing i've been kind of harping on a lot lately is the expense and making it more accessible for people to go skiing right and it's like yeah you hear all spectrums of opinion from like i, I don't know i got some guy messaging me or emailed me yesterday about something i posted and he's like doesn't just need to be cheaper like people why are we assuming everybody is like broke that doesn't go skiing like just because of the color of their skin or where they come from it's not necessarily assumption of them being broke i mean whether they are or they aren't it's just like why would you spend that money on a thing you don't know how to do and don't necessarily feel welcome in, right? Like, and that's always the thing yeah. that I'm pushing. So what do you think about that? How can we get more people involved in the sport that maybe don't look like the typical white guy that normally is? And again, I always kind of feel like I have to preface this a little bit because obviously people are sensitive and I don't want to be attacking anybody because they're, like I said, my mom's a white lady from West Springfield. Like people know this yeah. and I love her more than anybody on the planet it has nothing to do with her being white. But when she goes to the Hill, nobody looks twice at her. When my dad goes to the Hill, who's an Arab guy with a big bit with a big beard, it, he gets a hundred looks and a hundred comments every single day. So what, totally. what is that like for you? What do you think about this whole situation? Because I think you're right. We're finally kind of getting a chance to talk about this kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, I think like the spectrum of people's understanding of native folks and then native folks understanding of where we belong kind of in, in like a balance to that is so wide. Like I've had the experience at my own home hill of people like just completely with the mindset that like native people don't really exist anymore. Mm. Like I remember the first time I explained to someone what natives outdoors was on the lift and that I was a native skier he and i couldn't tell if it was like totally out of ignorance or if it was trying to be disrespectful or what it was but he literally asked me if i was related to sacagawea and i was like one Ooh. like you didn't even you didn't even pronounce that right like this and that and like it's just so complicated but then i also think about like growing up where i grew up here in colorado on the front range like stolen cheyenne arapaho you lakota land we're not really talked about. And when you learn about natives in school, like when I learned about them, they taught you about like the ancestral Puebloans that they call the Anasazi out on the West slope and blah, blah, blah. And they made us seem like ancient people that don't exist anymore. So there's one side of it that's like, yeah, like we have to show people that native folks are still around and we do even ski. And then the other flip side of it is like, we have to show native folks that, yeah, like we can be in this places and this is something we can do. And like, typically for native folks, like I think the sports that we're shown in the most are like running and basketball. And because of that, those are like huge in our cultures um, nowadays, you know, there's a lot of powwows that have a three on three basketball tournament. <laughs> and there's all sorts of times that they'll, there'll be a, a cause and native youth will run hundreds of miles for a cause. And like, 
that's something we're used to seeing. And we're not used to seeing like a skier as an activist, as a native person. And so like that representation side of it is huge. And, and to me, like representation within the sport is one of the biggest things that I try to just fight for and make, you know, really known and really plain because um, there are other native folks who ski, but almost every time I bring up that conversation with them, their experience is so uh, similar to mine where they just felt isolated and that like their experience as a native person skiing um, was something they were all alone in or just their family or however it might be. And so, yeah, there's a lot of work that needs to be done there. And it kind of comes from two different sides. But I think like the singular solution of that is just like the, having the outdoor industry and ski media on our side to be like, yeah, we're here. <laughs> we are actually here and our experience is different, but our experience is the same in a lot of ways. And we, you know, we have something to contribute to this space because we've always been here. <laughs> like, we're yeah. in these mountains before they were <clears throat> ski resorts or anything like that. So, but yeah, the, the representation thing for me is huge. You know, it's like there were no black folks in any sport before Jackie Robinson. Yeah. And like now, could we imagine professional sports as we know them, the NBA, the NFL, MLB, any of those sports without that? And so it took just like that first kind of seed of being like, oh, no, like this is a space where these people belong for the people themselves to know they belong there and for the fans to embrace that. Yeah. And I think one of the things that I end up fighting all the time, like one of the battles, I guess I start fighting online all the time is like people are like why even mention it why why do you even need to talk about it and this is why you need to talk about it so that other people listening like you like myself like wh whatever you're from if you feel like there's not people like you out there it's important to know that there are i think that's why it's important to talk about for one and yeah. two it's like why would i shut up about it you know like why why do i need exactly. to be like why do i need to be quiet why do you need to be quiet it's like we should be proud of where we come from just like everybody else it's like it's i'm just as proud of the american side as i am the arab side but the american side is like a given i ha i am proud and i have to be proud almost you know the yeah. other side is like i should just hide that and that's how i felt growing up was like you sweep it under the rug you don't talk about it as much because you're afraid of you know how people are going to look at you one way or the other Oh, totally. That's, that's definitely how I feel and felt growing up. And I think like, it's, it's definitely, there's a way that it's amplified for those of us who are mixed race in that way, because there's, there's a part of you that's like, well, shit, I could cut my hair a little different and I could shave. Totally. I could dress a little different and I could sink into that, like comfortability and privilege that's there. Um, and then there's another side of you that's like, also like, why should I have to sacrifice that? Because you're uncomfortable. And I think like, that's, that's really the thing about it is usually that anybody that's telling you to be quiet about it, it's not about you. It's about them and yeah. what they're uncomfortable hearing. And like for native folks in particular, I feel like we're the part of, you know, the past of this continent that people and the land. Yeah. Look at. Yeah, well, and that's the thing. Like, people don't want to don't want to talk about the fact that like we wouldn't be having all these forest fires if native folks were still managing the forest to move game around and set small fires in order to, you know, get certain plant species to grow in a more prolific way and like all those things. Like that very concept of wilderness and how we see the land in this country is like based around 
removing native people first and then imagining it as empty. And I think like that it feels mm. especially magnified when you're in a ski resort and people get a look out over this expanse of untouched lands and think it's all been perfect and that's the way it should be. And it's like, dude, this is our home. <laughs> yeah. What are you talking about? So how do you manage that then as a skier? Like you're looking at this land and everybody's using this land. And like at one point you feel a connection to the land as your own. And like, but on the other hand, you're looking at it like, I want to go skiing. Like I want to go out there and I want to use, like I want everybody to use this land for what it's for, I guess. So like there's got to be a balance point and I'm, I don't know, I'm sure you've thought about this. Like what, what do you think about that? How do you balance that as a, as a native person? And as a person yeah, who wants for, to go ski. For me, I think, like, I see it so much, like, especially now, I, I saw it differently maybe, you know, five years ago when I'd only been skiing for a couple seasons. Like, there was a part of me that was more resentful then. I didn't understand how the outdoor industry works and things like that. And now I see it, like, as, like, okay, this is an opportunity for, for justice and equity. Where it's, like, we have – a nearly trillion dollar industry when it comes to outdoor recreation um that happens exclusively on stolen land yeah like there and it's growing it's growing every year yeah and so it's like okay for me i the way i think about it is like if we need better access if we need to take care of these lands better and if we need you know more places to ski more places to hike more places to like all those things then like we should be at the center of how that looks moving forward um, as native people. And the, the reason why is like, we need to create jobs for ourselves and, and roles for ourselves within our community and on the land that create economic op- opportunity moving forward, but also put our people back in those places. Yeah. And so that for me is really like how I see it now where I'm like, dang, like, look at all this backcountry skiing that happens out here in this empty place. Like, wouldn't it be amazing if there's a native ski guide here who could be the one to take you to go ski these lines? And, like, as backcountry recreation and those things grow, grow, I just think about, like, what my experience of being able to get out there has done for my life and my well-being, and I want that for other native folks. It's like, okay, we can't undo colonization we can't undo capitalism overnight and just like boom everything's 1491 again (laughs) yeah right that's not possible so it's like okay well if we have to choose a way as native people to make a living for ourselves shouldn't it be out here in these places that make us feel whole and these places that that miss us in the way that they're cared for and so I, i really see it as an opportunity moving forward of like okay we we can all gain something by bringing native people back into these spaces. And if I can become a professional skier in the course of seven years, or I have another buddy who I just wrote an article uh, for Patagonia's cleanest line about who became a ski patroller in the course of like three years and he's on his homelands. And like, if those kind of things can happen that quick, like a few times, it can probably happen a lot of times. And there's a consistency there. Uh, for native people improving our mental health and well-being by being on the land and if we can you know have a place to live and a roof over our head at the same time by doing that that's that's a pretty rad way forward yeah i think i think that's great it's like i always wonder like what the plan is like how how to make these types of things happen right because i talked i talked mm-hmm. about them ad nauseum like at this point but 
how do we get to the point where that is the norm, right? Where it's like, because again, back to that argument of like, why do we even need to talk about it? Well, like the idea is that we get to a point where everybody is like whole essentially, right? Like everybody Mm -hmm. feels at home, everybody feels comfortable and everybody has a place in this industry that like we all share. How how do you think we get to that point? Like what are the steps? And again, I don't want to, I hate like asking these types of questions to people because I feel like I'm like, Connor, how do we save the world? You tell me. And like, everybody's going to hold this model until the end of time. But like, what, what does it look like? I mean, I think there's a lot of ways it can look and I'm not uncomfortable (laughs) answering the question (laughs) because it's like something I obsess about. Um, And so I think like, yeah, like moving forward, um, we have to take some sort of initiative, right. To return stewardship of the land to native people right like that's a movement that's really popular in native circles right now is what we call land back but when we talk about land back like we don't mean like okay it's all ours only we can be there and everybody else goes back to wherever they came from like that's not even the way forward that that we want like right like yeah i want you as someone who's a second generation immigrant to this country like i want you to be here and ski with me and be on these places and like that's that's what I want as a native person. And so like, but at the same time in getting there, like you said, we want everybody to feel whole and at home. And I think that has to start with like the people whose original home this is um, and, and putting us at the forefront of like how these places are taken care of. And I live in, in Colorado where like <clears throat> the, the mountains are kind of endless and the only limiting factor in some ways to, to getting there is access and knowing how to sustainably access these places. And if I think there's anyone to ask about like how to do that, it's native folks. And so it's like, okay, well, if we need a new ski resort, we need a new model of skiing, maybe that's like guided backcountry skiing or avalanche controlled backcountry skiing or whatever these things might be like, we need to at least be at the center of the conversation of how that happens. And I think at the same time, like lands need to be returned to native people for us to manage for everybody's recreation. And we need to be allowed to like profit off that. And there's places where there's already that happening. Um, there's two ski resorts, uh, ski Apache and sunrise mountain park resort, whatever it's called down in Arizona and New Mexico, where, the tribe owns and runs a ski area like other tribes might own and run a casino. Mm. And to me, like that kind of model is the way forward where it's like, okay, let's give this piece of BLM land, let's say, because BLM is currently run by Deb Howland, who's um, the secretary of the interior and she's native. Right. And so let's give chunks of land back to tribes, back to different tribal entities and let them run a new ski resort, a new mountain bike trail system, a new hiking area, a new camping area, whatever this is. And then when we have that land back to take care of it, everybody can recreate there. And the profit that comes from that, right, the gear shop at the bottom of the hill or the lift ticket or whatever the cost of admission is, that can go to a tribal fund that then exists so that we can proliferate and educate our own people on our own existing land management practices. And so at the same time, like this can be a climate solution, this can be an access solution, all these different things at once. And so for me, I think that's how it goes. And to create jobs and to better education of our own people 
on our own practices and culture is really kind of the recipe for me, I think. Yeah, I, I think that's I think that sounds great. And I I guess I don't understand why there would be a whole lot of resistance, but I imagine you feel and you get a lot of resistance from people on these kind of ideas, right? Like people are like, I, I don't know. It, it seems like everybody acts like their stuff is being taken away for some reason, right? Like it seems like the reaction to a lot of things and the comments that you see sometimes are like people feel like they don't understand why it's your right to the land, why it would be native land that needs to be given back, why uh, any of these topics, I guess. So explain to people a little bit why why that matters, like why that part is important, right? Like why this even needs to happen in general, because I'm sure there's people listening that are like, wait, why do we need to do that? Why is this important? You know, that's the, that's what I'm trying to get yeah. At here. Yeah, totally. Well, I think it's really funny because like, like you said, people always think like something's been taking, taken from them. And that's kind of like a general attitude of entitlement that's out there. And people can make their assumptions about whatever groups of people feel that way. Um, but the, <laughs> the one true group that definitely has had something taken from them in this country is native people. And we've lost everything. We've lost our languages. We've lost our cultures. We lost our land. We lost our food systems. All those things. And they were systematically taken from us by the United States government, by the National Park System, by the Bureau of Land Management. All those things initially existed to take these things away from us, right? And to put our kids into residential schools and do all these things. And there's a very clear history that people can look at if they'd like to there. Um, and so, like, that part of it that, like, us getting something back would be taking someone from anyone is just a hilarious notion. <laughs> like we've already lost so much and to kind of take that a step further is like when our tribes made agreements with the United States government, they signed treaties. And in the article six of the United States constitution states that treaties are the supreme law of the land and that any treaty made with another sovereign nation is the law. Right. And that's, the Constitution, the same way as people love the First Amendment or the Second Amendment or whatever amendment they're attached to politically for their movement at the moment, comes from the Constitution, right? And so our same rights come from that same Constitution of this country, and we were guaranteed land. We made deals as sovereign nations with the U.S. government to keep our land, and not one of those treaties has been honored by the U.S. government. Hmm. And so for us, it's like... It's literally like the the laws of this country don't get honored when it comes to us. And so there's large swaths of land that are promised to Native people by law. And at some point along the way, the U.S. government just said, no, we're not going to honor that. And forced us into smaller and smaller tracts of land, places we didn't want to live. And those are what we know now today as reservations. And... There's got to be something that's that's done about that because most of the places that we lost are the most beautiful places to be. For right? sure. Like the, the, Ute, the Ute people were promised all the land in Colorado west of the Continental Divide. Hmm. You know how pretty that area <laughs> is? That's a gorgeous place to live sure. with so many natural resources to sustain life. And, oh, yeah, a multi-billion dollar ski industry is now there. Yeah. And the Ute 
cops aren't seeing any justice for that. You know, and it's the same for my people with, with the Black Hills of South Dakota. That was our most sacred place. And we lost that so that they could carve in Mount Rushmore and do a fireworks show there for Donald Trump and turn a huge profit off of that. Like, it's like, it's just wild. And so it's like, no, like there's something that, that is inalienable, inalienably like um, connected to us as human beings that, that is the land and like is a part of us. And I think like that has to be returned. And I think people just have to know, like in the returning of that, like we don't necessarily want to force everybody off. We don't want to change everybody's way of life, but we need to find a way of life for ourselves Mm. moving forward. That allows us to be there in the places where we've always been, except for this short snippet of time since, you know, the late 1800s. Yeah. Yeah, it's like it, I everybody just looks at things as like, what have you done for me lately? Like, what's happened lately? And like, yeah. as soon as it's been a generation, people just think that like, oh, it's that didn't happen. Like, it's gone. It's like, this is the reason we have history books. This is the reason that we have right. information passed along through generations is because this shit's important. And like, you can't just like move on and pretend it didn't exist. Imagine if that happened with like the way we look at the United States today. Like if we were like, ah, 1700s, yeah. fuck that shit. Like what, like, what do you, like, what does that mean? Right. It'd be right? July it, 4th. Let's throw that out the window. That was a long time ago. Like, we would never that. do that. People are going to get mad at me for even suggesting that that's a thought <laughs> right. that could come to my brain, you know, like, and it's right. like these kind of conversations need to happen. So yeah. I don't, want to make this political like super political and i don't think anything that we've talked to up until this point is political i think it's a it's factual and like we're having a conversation about the way that we'd like to see things but in your opinion has anything changed with the current administration versus the past administration right because it's like obviously as skiers and a lot of the outdoor industry the trump administration putting it lightly was not ideal, right? It was maybe the worst thing that could have happened over the course of four years for a lot of us. And maybe that's a stretch, but who knows? Do you feel like the current administration is making any steps forward in this? Um, It's such a mixed bag. Like, it's, it's such a crazy mixed bag. So, like, yes, it's better. We went from, like, I mean, Trump was, like, actively trying to, you know, take the tribe status away from certain tribes do all kinds of stuff like open up the tongas national forest in alaska to just be logged like one of the most precious beautiful rainforests on earth super sacred to the Klinka people and haida people and all sorts of other native groups up there in alaska and like so those sort of things have been put to a stop like the the tongas is protected for now same goes for like a Bristol Bay, where they wanted to put in Pebble Mine, like those were all campaign premises of Biden's that that he followed through on. He stopped the Tongass, he stopped Pebble Mine. He's looking at putting uh, the the borders back on the Bears Ears National Monument that uh, Obama had established, and he canceled the the Keystone Pipeline from happening, which was the thing that my tribe was directly fighting for decades. It feels like um, so a lot of those good things happened. At, and um, his appointment to the, to the Secretary of Interior was Deb Howland. And that yeah. means that Deb Howland, a Native woman, is in charge of BLM. Uh, and also, for the first time, there's a Native person in charge of the Bureau of Indian Affairs, which is a huge deal. And it's kind of crazy to this think about. This is the first time that's happened? Agency. 
the first time that's happened, right? There's a government agency that handles all native issues. And the first time ever in history, a native is in the role of leading that department. So that's a kind of wild thing. And that's a huge progress. And like, feels good to know that Auntie Deb, as we refer to her, you know, <laughs> is now in charge of more public land than anybody. Um, and I think like the one of the latest ones is he, the new national parks director for the country is a native guy from Oregon. And so a lot of those things are huge pluses, but then at the same time, he's forcing the Enbridge line three pipeline um, through the Mississippi river and through the Anishinaabe and Ojibwe reservations up there. Um, and they're essentially the, the line three pipeline is a pipeline from Canadian tar sands to a refinery in the United States and the refinery alone, cause tar sands are just super nasty. Um, the refinery alone would be, the equivalent in emissions of the entire state of Minnesota, um, equivalent to about 16 million cars being on the road. And so they're forcing this through. And the craziest thing about it is like, one, it's not economically viable. And then two, they're using 5 billion gallons of water to do it. And the state of Minnesota sold them those 5 billion gallons of water, a Canadian company for $150 while the state is experiencing one of its worst droughts ever. And like all the citizens of the state are on water restrictions. Um, And the pipeline itself like will leak Enbridge as a company is responsible for the largest oil spill in the history of the United States. And if it spills, if they spill all this oil into the Mississippi river, that has a huge effect, a huge effect on the whole country. I mean, like millions and millions of people, their water source in one way or another is the Mississippi river. And most immediately the, the Ojibwe and Anishinaabe people there gather their rice and get their traditional, you know, food sources, wild rice, mussels, all these different things that they've eaten for thousands of years. They get it from there in the headwaters in the Mississippi. And Biden has basically been unreachable on this, this issue. And so like that part sucks. Um, you know, but that's the mixed bag of a situation that we're in. And, you know, we're still actively working in a lot of ways to raise attention and get him to change his mind on that. And there's native folks up there uh, risking their lives and livelihoods, uh, getting arrested on the front lines, protesting every day to try and stop this pipeline. So it's a complicated thing. And like, overall, yeah, it's like a net gain, but is he you know our best friend yeah for sure not in any way and that's that's crazy that's that's kind of where we're at in this time where it's like okay like not terrible or like (laughs) lesser of two evils yeah crappy progress is better than going totally backwards i guess but because under trump it'd be just you know put it through yeah tear gas those folks and move on with it so it's like okay it's better but it's not, it's still not, it's still, good. Not good. it's still not where we'd like it to be, but it's an improvement from, from worse to bad. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, it's incredible how much stuff you're, that you remember. I mean, obviously it's important to you, so you remember it, but like, I mean, your ability to talk about all these issues at once is super impressive. Like, I mean, it is like, I'm an idiot in so many ways. Like I, there is no way in hell I could remember 
all of the stuff that like these answers, like you didn't have a chance to look at any of the stuff that I was going to ask you beforehand because I don't have it written down. It's all off the top. So like, I, I don't know. I just wanted to give you props for like being that well-spoken about these, these subjects. Like that's huge, man. Like a lot of times you'll ask somebody something and they're like, uh, I don't know, man, we just need to do more. And you're like more what? But I think yeah. those kind of answers are really like, that's great for people to hear. Thanks. Yeah. I, I appreciate that. And like in this day and age where everybody's an activist of some sort, one of my favorite quotes comes from uh, a Lakota rapper. Uh, his name's Frank Wong. And he said, I'm not an activist. I'm Lakota. And to me, that's how I feel about it. Where it's like, I can't forget these things or let these things go because to me, these are like part of who I am as a human yeah. being. And I've done ceremonies and I've been, you know, initiated in my, my culture to where like, my value for, for the water and the planet and the air is integral to, to who I am. And like, I was really taught to like have that understanding of like every molecule that makes up your body as a human being was once a part of the earth, you know, and all this water that's in you is in this like really complicated exchanging cycle with every other being on earth. And the water that's in you has been in trees and it's been in streams and oceans and it's been in the snow that you skied on and all those things. And so for me, it's just like kind of an integrated understanding that, that I try to live with and just, you know, keep on my mind and heart at all times. Cause I don't think there's anything more important to me anyways than, than water. And that's, you know, I've had cultural experiences that just made that really real for me where I've had to go days without water. And then you, you start to realize really quickly, like, okay, like, yeah, this, we need water more than we need oil. We need water more than we need money. Like these mm. basic human things, like we're a biological process first and foremost, like before I'm a skier, I'm 60% water. Yeah. <laughs> that That's for me good. just keeps it really real. Yeah, I mean, imagine if we valued water the same way that we value gas or oil. Like, I mean, it's like that's it. we don't think about it because we have it. It's it's accessible, right? But I mean, yeah. who knows? Like one day that shit might just be not there. Yeah. You know, you got to turn on the faucet, and few, it's, I mean, we're a few oil pipelines are a few bad decisions away from taking water for granted anymore you know that's what they say right like you don't yeah you don't miss your water until your well runs dry and i think like that's kind of where we're at as human beings where we're like oh well, we still need fossil fuels to transition and blah 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 it's yeah like, yeah but you can figure out how to live without fossil fuels there's no figuring out how to live without water oh dude if this there's was no water and they were like oh we need to transition air. to something other than what like that shit would have been figured out in 60 seconds like there would be nobody's going thirsty for more than a day like are you shitting me there's no chance like it would exactly. not be the same thing um yeah so for people listening that are hearing you and they're they vibe with you and they're like okay what can i do as a regular person to, you know, an air quotes, regular person to make this situation better, right? To be more inclusive, to actively involve more native people, to donate where you can donate, to volunteer where they can volunteer. Like what types of things do you think have the most effect, like most bang for the buck, as they say, for people to do, right? Because I think one of the things that people as activists make mistakes with is they ask people for too much right and they go donate here 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 do this thing do this thing this thing and then people are like overwhelmed yeah. and they're like i have my own life to live and that's fair right but like what what can people do 
that is feasible for the average person to go out and make a difference? Um, I think like for me, the one off the top of my head, that's simplest is like, you go to my Instagram. I'm at sacred stoke. There's a reel right up there at the top two, three posts ago. Um, you could watch it. It's me shredding some sweet pow, uh, in Montana on my people's traditional homelands. And in the caption to that, there is a number that you can just text. And by texting that number, um, the code that's in the caption there, you can send a letter to Joe Biden and your senators and Congress people, and it will tell them that you want them to step in and stop the line three pipeline. Um, I think that's one of the simplest things to do. There's another, you know, uh, there's plenty of other things. I think culturally, I'm a huge like uh, proponent of like, I think cultural change is the thing that we're missing most right now. Um, between like where we're at and the policy changes we want to see implemented is like, we just got to have everybody on the same page of like, Oh yeah. Water is the most essential thing. Um, air is the most essential thing. Access to land is an inalienable human right. Like those sort of things. And so I think the other one too, is like follow along with what I do, follow along with natives outdoors. Um, that's one of the brands that I represent, you know, and, Learn how to integrate as a person who's skiing or, you know, whatever you do in the outdoors, like learn how to integrate these simple ecological understandings in, in your process of being outside. And I think a lot of people already do that, but it's like, just expand that another step, reflect on these things. And the more you find yourself in reciprocity with the land and forming a relationship like that, the more naturally inclined you're going to be to find the solutions locally yourself that you know you need to be involved in um that's that's really the thing is like you know that like classic adage like think globally act locally like we're all part of an ecosystem whether we choose to be or not whether we choose to recognize that or not so it's like learn how to participate in your ecosystem uh where you're at and learn how to love that and understand like that gives you life quite literally learn where your water comes from you know all those simple things um, all right, I've got a couple more things for you, and then I'll let you go. I appreciate the time. Like, I mean, it, this is this is great, and it's great for me too. Like, this is all things. Like, I was nervous going into this because, like, I'm like, I don't know what to ask. Like, I don't know. I want to know more, but I don't even know what the like. I don't know where to start. Right, and this yeah. is like someone who's trying to learn about it. So I imagine people who are like, oh, like it's on their radar, but kind of in the rear view. This it's a hard thing, and like hearing somebody that's relatable and thoughtful is is very helpful i think for myself and i'm sure for listeners as well um yeah i'm stoked to be able to share i think that's a big thing like it's hard to know where to start unless someone tells us so for sure i'm I'm glad to be able to share it um natives outdoors what is natives outdoors talk to me a little bit about your involvement what they do and the whole bit there yeah so um natives outdoors is an indigenous owned outdoor media and apparel company basically our job is to kind of tackle that representation issue that i talked about before from from both sides and so we aim to create media that tells the story of native folks on the land doing whatever sports it is that we do now and we do like we have a big ambassador team and across us all like somebody does just about every sport and 
just about every part of the country. And essentially, we, we think that needs to exist so that one, other native folks can see us out here doing these things and know like rock climbing, skiing, whatever you do, like it's, it's for you as a native person. This is your land. Get out there and do it. You're not alone in doing it. And it can connect to your traditional values. And on the other side, if you're somebody who participates in one of these sports and you want to know like, what's the original history here? How can I be more connected to native folks and the issues in different areas? We've got content and media when it comes to that. And We've got ambassadors who are in all these places or traveling around to all these places who are, you know, providing an example of like, okay, this is, this is the way forward. Um, and so, yeah, we, we make a lot of cool movies and um, articles, little projects here and there. And then basically every one of our uh, ambassadors is someone who's just super rowdy and gets after it. And yeah, we've, we've got a super cool team of folks. Um. I also, on this sort of topic, I want to ask you about, you have a film coming out about you in January. Tell me about it. Tell yeah. me what's going on with the film, what the story is, what the what the plot is, if you will. And, uh, and yeah, just tell people a little bit more about that. Yeah, so this January, I'll have a film coming out. It's called Spirit of the Peaks. Uh, I made it with REI and a number of other great folks. And essentially, it's my journey as a Lakota who mostly skis on Ute land of kind of figuring out like, what do I do to make my impact in this place more than a land acknowledgement? Um, so if you're familiar with the idea of a land acknowledgement, it's essentially saying like, wherever we are, like we are on native land and this is whose land it was. And we honor their people and their history that made our, you know, being here possible. Um, and essentially I kept skiing in the San Juans and these just incredible, big, burly, you know, 13, 14,000 foot mountains with amazing lines and amazing dry, cold, awesome powder. And I was so grateful to be in these places. And I knew like I needed to do more than just put on the bottom of my posts that I'm in Ute territory. Like that didn't feel like enough for me. Um, and so this film kind of is my journey of figuring out how to make that right and how to do more than a land acknowledgement so you know it took me to the southern Ute reservation to learn from some awesome tribal leaders there connect with some young folks and get them out skiing and um you know that experience of just learning the history getting involved with the community and how that liberated me to be able to go after some big objectives and feel like i was right with the spirit of the peaks in that place because uh just as much as those mountains are beautiful and powerful and can allow you to do fun things they're some of the mountains with some of the craziest avalanche situations and you know a lot of people lose their lives skiing there and for me i wanted like the mountains themselves and you know the the energy of that place to feel like it knew i was doing something more um for the land and for the people yeah i mean that's that's amazing dude that and i'm excited to see it i can't wait like it feels like i wish it was coming out sooner i wish it was coming out tomorrow but it's like one of those things that you just have to you just have to wait for we gotta wait we'll be teasing it up along the way we've got some awesome folks uh who are a part of it my my good buddy and mentor cody townsend makes an awesome appearance and so we'll be we'll be dropping little snippets and trailers along the way till then and few lines here and there to get folks stoked so yeah it'll 
it'll come quicker than you think. The, the winter always does. <laughs> yeah, I'm very excited. I'm sure we all are. Um, Connor, yeah. where can people find you online? Where can people find you on social media? Where can people find what you're up to? Um, tell people a little bit about that. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'd say the easiest way to follow along is I'm pretty active on Instagram. Uh, my handle's at Sacred Stoke. And, um, you know, people can also check out <clears throat> nativesoutdoors.com. And at the same time, I, I just put out an article, and we'll be promoting it a little more soon coming up. But uh, I put out an article with Patagonia. Uh, I ride for them. And we did a story called... Uh, Hot shot, cold smoke uh, about a Lakota wildlands firefighter and ski patroller up there. And you can find that on, on the Patagonia website. Beautiful. Um, I'll make yeah. sure I link all this stuff in the episode and the show notes. Um, thanks for your time, man. This has been great. Yeah, for sure. It was a pleasure, Adam. Uh, hello there. Uh, hope you guys enjoyed that episode. We have more coming to you soon. Talk to you next week with Roy Bushfield. And then the week after, we have one of my favorite interviews ever um, with Jamie Walter. Um, that one was excellent. It's been a long time coming, so I'm glad it lived up to my expectations. And I'm sure to Jamie's as well, we, uh, we had a good time. Um, so there's some good ones coming. I'm psyched to finally be doing these in person consistently. Again, so much better than doing them over Zoom. And the audio is way better. So, yeah, enjoy. Uh, talk to you guys next week. Bye.